The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Advent. Here we are in Advent. Now, if you're in the Church of England, probably you might know more about Advent than perhaps we do here. Advent, what is it all about? Well, obviously, it's that sense of Christmas is coming. We know that Christmas is coming. But as we think about Advent, we're thinking about the season of preparation. It is this preparation. And the whole thing that I love about Christmas is the fact that this season now... Now, I don't want to put any dampeners on Christmas Day, but I prefer the build-up to it. I love that build-up. I love that feeling of, oh, it's coming, it's coming. And that is what we're celebrating at Advent. In one sense, we're celebrating the arrival, or we're preparing for the arrival of the baby Jesus. The word Advent, as I'm sure most of you know, because you're scholarly type of people, comes from the Latin word, and yes, I have studied Latin, but unfortunately I failed the exam, but that's another issue. (laughs) I studied Latin. It comes from the Latin word adventus, meaning coming, and that in turn is translated from the Greek parousia, which means coming or appearing. And in very early days of the church, this season was actually celebrating not so much the coming of Jesus, but the second coming of Jesus. They were looking for the awakening, the parousia, the second coming of Jesus Christ to come. And so we're not just celebrating the fact that Jesus is coming at Christmas. We're also celebrating the fact that we are getting prepared for the coming king. Whether he's going to come in the Bethlehem manger which we're celebrating at Christmas, but together as God's people, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus is coming again to take us to be with himself. You do know that heaven, there is a place where there is not any crying. There's no sadness. There's no sickness. Heaven is a place of eternal rejoicing in the presence of God. It is far better. Paul said, it's far better for me. He wants to go to heaven They said, oh, okay, I accept the fact, guys, I've got to be with you for a while because there's work to be done. But if it's of me, of my choice, I'd rather be in heaven. And you know what? We want to be looking forward. There is hope that we have that Jesus is coming again for us. That is the hope that we have. You know those times when you're going through circumstances and it feels a bit dark and it feels a bit difficult? It suddenly feels like, whoa, we're going uphill here and we're getting tired. Just like you climb up the hill of Ethelbert Road. By the time you get to the top, if you're like me, you're just about catching your breath. Actually, it's not just me because it's not about fitness. It's about the fact your heart is working away. Sometimes our lives feel like life is working away at us. It's a steep road. We have a hope. It's not always going to be like this. Jesus, our Savior, is coming to take us to be with himself. At this time of Advent, we're celebrating these things. It wasn't until the uh, um, Middle Ages that actually it became that they were just looking at Christmas time more at Advent. Before that, as I say, it was looking for the second coming. But now we're looking for both. We're looking for both. The church, if you like, is like Israel was at the end of the Old Testament. You know what I mean? Like, 
the end of the Old Testament, we've got all the stories about what's going to happen, all the prophetic messages that have happened, but nothing was happening. Where is this Messiah? Where is this coming King? Where is this servant king who's going to help us? Where is this rescuer of Israel? Where is he? And you know, as you get to the end of the Old Testament, that's the cry. And you know what? That cry went on for hundreds of years. It wasn't just like, oh, five minutes later. Because there's a sense when you're reading the Bible, you turn the page, and because you were reading the previous page just a couple of seconds before, you assume that that's the amount of time. Wow, it only took a couple of seconds. No, no, no. There were hundreds of years between the last words of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And it's in this time, this waiting. Israel is waiting for the the Messiah. They're waiting, and they're sort of in exile. They're praying. They're seeking God. There's that sense of waiting. That's where we are right now. We're waiting. We're exiled. We're not in heaven yet. We're waiting to get to heaven. We're waiting for that anticipation. And so we're like them. There's that carol that says, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That's the cry of the heart. And you can suddenly see, actually, these carols, they're not just carols, oh, we just sing that at this time of year. There's words in them that are expressing the heart cry of the people. Where is the Messiah? Where is he? But there came that, that night in Bethlehem where the shepherds were just out there looking after their flocks, Normal day's work, but the heavens opened because heaven wanted to announce the king has come. The king has come. Come and see where he lay. And as I look at my grandson, a tiny little baby, Jesus came like that. Weak, seemingly insignificant, but the savior of the world has come. That's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating his coming as our savior. We're celebrating his second coming as our redeeming savior who is going to take us to be with himself. So we've got decorations up. Do you know what? Shouldn't there be decorations? Shouldn't there be a celebration? Shouldn't there be excitement because of what is going on? Of course there should. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he is coming for you. Because he loves you. He has loved you from before the foundation of the world. He knows that you have been through different circumstances, trials, temptations. He knows that sin has taken hold of your heart. He knows that at times you feel like, I'm wretched. What is the matter with me? But he came to rescue you because he loves you. Because he cares for you. To lift you out of darkness. And to bring you into the fullness of his kingdom. You are not a nobody. You are a dearly loved, chosen son or daughter. Created by him for his purposes. Yes, we can celebrate at this time of year. Advent is here. And we are preparing ourselves for that coming king. And to help us prepare, I want us to look today and probably next week as well, at a passage from Philippians that Paul wrote. And so just to put the scene, I'm just going to read this passage to you, so it will appear on the screen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through to 11. Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ 
if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, there's an excellent passage, a beautiful passage to read and to hear. But why have I picked this passage? Well, Paul is writing to the Philippians, and he's wanting them to have the attributes that he sees in Jesus in their lives. In fact, he's saying, look, as Christians, what sort of character, what sort of attributes should we be having in our lives? And he wants to encourage them with this particular attribute. He's saying, I want to see humility. You need to see humility in your lives. You need to see the attitude that Jesus had, his love, his humility. We need to embrace them into our lives. And so using this passage, I want us to see what Jesus is like. Because if we're to be like him, then we need to know what he is like. And when we understand what he has done more, then it helps us, therefore, to actually, okay, I do need to change. I do need to adjust some of the things in my own life. When we see him, it helps us. So particularly, it says there in verse 5 that we read, your attitude, Paul says, your attitude should be the same of that as Jesus Christ. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. What is an attitude? Do you have an attitude? You're always like, well, they've got an attitude. You know that phrase? Do you know what it's meant? In the office, you think like, blow, they've got a blooming attitude. What's the matter with them? Sometimes you say they've got a bad attitude. And what you mean is that somebody's like, they're coming across. What's the matter with them? They're all spiky. What's the problem with them that they're coming across with me like that? Or conversely, you might meet somebody and you say like, wow, what an attitude. In the office, you might have someone who says, this guy's got the right attitude. He's, he wants to help. He wants to get involved. He wants to, he's excited. I love that attitude. Attitudes affect people around us. We need to carry an attitude that is what? Is like Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was saying. He said to the Philippians, I want you to have the same attitude as Jesus has. And so we need to hear that. What was his attitude? What was he like? Our attitude, of course, can be affected and is affected by many things. We know if things go wrong in the day, sometimes our attitude changes. We might have been happy at the beginning of the day, now we become sad. 
All sorts of things affect our attitude. Society affects our attitude. General life outside, the way, oh, this is just the way things are done. That's the right attitude to have. Subject to the Bible, of course. Our environment, what we're taught, what our parents tell us, and what we see in other people, that all affects our attitude. That's the problem with those politicians. They're always in it for themselves. Oh, really? Where did that attitude come from? It's the sort of thing you hear people say, especially at the moment as we're headed for an election. People start to get uppity about things. But of course, it's all right for them. You get these attitudes. What's your attitude like? Have you got a good attitude? Is the person next to you elbowing you at the moment? No reason why they should, because that's a bad attitude. (laughs) What's our attitude like? Our attitude needs to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So what can we learn from him, our coming king? I'm just going to reread Philippians, uh, the verses 6 to 8. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It says there, Paul was talking of Jesus, and he says, Who being in very nature God. Now, with a passage like this, you can get quite theological and try to pick it out and have understanding of everything. But what Paul was trying to say was this. He's not trying to say, was Jesus God? That was a given. Jesus is God. He's 100% God. Yes, he became a man, was born as that baby in Bethlehem, and there he was 100% God, and he was 100% human. But you see, in this passage, it's talking about the fact he was in very nature God, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. What does he mean? He made himself nothing. You see, Jesus was with God in the beginning, before any of the world, before any of us, before any stars in heaven or anything like that. There was God. He is an eternal God. He is the only one who is uncreated. And Jesus was with God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. He was from eternity to eternity because God always is. That is who he was. So there, before the Bethlehem, before any of that, Jesus is God and he is in the glory of heaven, surrounded by the angels. That's where he is. That was life. What should we do today? Let's dance from one cloud to another. I don't know what they did. They were worshipping. They were praising. They were blessing. They were thinking of us. They were thinking of you being made. That's what they were doing. Eternity. In eternity, that's what they were doing. Jesus, in very nature, was God. John, in his writing, says this, In the beginning was the Word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's actually difficult to say the beginning because it really means he was with God and always has been. That's who Jesus was. He was very nature God, one and the same. All of the attributes of heaven were his. But it says that he humbled himself. He humbled himself. 
and became found in human likeness. Humility, or a definition I can give you of humility, is this. Humility is willingly giving up what we feel is rightfully ours. Humility is willingly giving up what we feel is rightfully ours. So for us to humble ourselves, it means that we're prepared to give up something that actually is ours. Sometimes it's our reputation. Sometimes people are saying things, no, 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 it's not quite like that. Just imagine the situation at work. You have thought of the idea. It's you who've been doing all the work. But lo and behold, your boss goes and takes credit for it. Now, you can humble yourself, i.e., you can give up your right. Hey, that was my idea. You humble yourself because you give up the rights to owning something. You give it up. There's a humility. There's a humility that I need to walk in more. And that's sometimes the, the desire to have the last word or to be right. And I'm not the only one. Because I see it a lot. And other people. You know what it's like when you're in a debate? No, 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 this is right. And it's almost you like, why do we fight for that? Because we want to maintain a position. That's why we fight. We want to hold ourselves up. I am the right one. Humility says, I give up my rights to being right. It doesn't matter. But you see, we're so concerned sometimes about elevating ourselves, we lose sight of that. But you see, the attitude that we're to have is the same as that of Christ Jesus. So there he is, equality with God. He is the same as God. What are these attributes that he had? He was, and I've got to remember them, he was omniscient, he was omnipotent, and he was omnipresent. Just take those on, just feel like you're a theologian for a moment, and then I'll explain them to you. Jesus in heaven was omniscient. He was all-knowing, all-seeing, all-understanding of everything. Not just like he needed to contact Google. He was Google from the beginning. Actually, much bigger. That's sort of containing it far too much. Okay, But he didn't have to Google anything because all knowledge was his. You understand this? All knowledge. Not only that, he had the ability to be everywhere at the same time. That is omnipresent. Everywhere at the same time, and omnipotent means he is all-powerful. All-powerful. Can you help me undo the lid of this jar? That's what Helen says to me sometimes. Why? Because she couldn't do it, and neither can I. No, and you have to have a go to release it. You go to somebody, I'm not all-powerful, I need help. Sometimes we're a bit prideful, we don't like to ask for help, but there's many situations where we realize, I can't do this, I need help. You go to somebody, he Jesus was all-powerful. He did not need to ask anybody for help. He has all the power, all the authority, all the wisdom, all the knowledge, all the insight. I can be anywhere at the same time. He has all of that. Now it says, humility is willingly giving up what we rightfully feel is ours. And what does it say of Jesus? And I've got to turn, because I have the passage on my iPad, but I need it in my Bible. And being in very nature God, 
He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I want the position of God. There's no way that I'm giving up all of these attributes. There's no way that I can let any of this go. This belongs to me. These are my rights. This is who I am, which is true. Which is true. This is exactly who he was. But he says, I did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Or that phrase is, he literally let go of those things. So he let go of those things, taking the very nature, not now the same nature of God. He is God, but is not in heaven as God. He now takes the nature of a servant and comes down to earth, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He let go of all of that power, all of that knowledge, to be born in a, uh, in a manger in Bethlehem. Now, as a man, he had to learn wisdom and gain understanding. Can you imagine that? Having all knowledge and now you're having to ask, now you're having to seek, now you're having to find knowledge and information and learn it. And now he could only ever be in one place at one time. And now he has come to serve God in the way that he operates here on earth. He didn't come to live his own life. He came to be the son of God and to live according to how the father wanted him to live. And we think it's hard for us to give things up. We think we spend all of our effort trying to hold on to those things in our lives that we consider are so valuable, our reputation, our finances, our relationships, those things that we're holding on to. Our attitude needs to be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who freely gave up the majesty of heaven so that he could come down to us. And when did all of this happen? All of this happened in eternity before he came. All of this decision was operated and understood before then. In heaven, in the spiritual realm, with God and the angels, that is where it happened. And what did he do? Jesus, with God, he decided not to consider himself equal to his father, but instead he was prepared to say, I'm letting this go. Why? Because of the cross. And what is the cross? The cross is all about us. It's all about the forgiveness of our sin. It's all about reconciling us. It's all about getting us back into relationship with him. So in eternity, before we were thought of, Jesus is getting ready to prepare himself to empty himself of all of those godly attributes so that he could come to set us free from our sin, to release us so that we might be a people, not who just say like, oh, I'm a Christian, but we might be a people who have an attitude of the same of that of Jesus Christ, who aren't grasping hold of things and saying, this is my, this is my right, don't you know who I am? 
Jesus didn't go around saying, don't you know who I am? Jesus went about revealing who he was. What a difference that is. Showing others through his manner, through his ways, the love of God. That is what he did and that's what we need to do. It's not like protecting our rights. It's letting go of our rights because actually we don't belong to us. He has purchased us because he came and rescued us. And he, Jesus, gave his life for us, being obedient even unto death on a cross. So he came because of the cross, but how did it all happen? It all happened by him entering the womb of a young Jewish virgin girl called Mary, living in a town in Bethlehem. And Galatians 4 says this, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. The coming king freely gave up all of his rights so as to rescue us. It's time for us to give up our rights so that he can live his life fully through us. And as we come into this season of preparation, can we not make space for him in our lives? I know there's all the busyness of preparation for families and buying presents and all that sort of stuff, but let us make room for him in our lives. Let us be prepared to give up our rights so that he may have his rights in and through us and so that he can be established in us. I'm just reminded of the words of Charles Wesley's carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which I expect we will sing at some stage, where it says this, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. And you can see these words, wow, these are powerful words because as we're looking at the baby in the manger, we're looking at the king of glory who gave up all power, who gave up all knowledge, who gave up the ability to be everywhere at the same time so that he could come to rescue us. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity. What a blessing that is. Let's have this attitude that is in Jesus, in us, over this period of Advent and beyond. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.